shed his blood. It was shed by another human being. It wasn't a wild beast. It wasn't an animal. It wasn't a lion or a tiger or a bear. His blood was shed by another human being through an act of hatred, jealousy, and malevolence. In less than one generation, man went from uh, the sin of eating the fruit of a forbidden tree to committing the act of murder. And even though Cain buried the evidence, even though he buried Abel's body, disposing of the evidence of his crime, Abel's blood nevertheless cried out to God from the ground. Abel's blood spoke loudly to God. His blood spoke vociferously, pleading with God for judgment, and God's judgment and justice was quick, it was immediate, and ladies and gentlemen, it was very sharp. It amazes me that so many people believe that somehow in ignorance that their sins are hidden from God, that God does not hear every blasphemous word, that God does not hear every word of profanity, every word of anger that proceeds from the heart and from the mouth. It amazes me that so many people really believe that the things they do and what they are on the inside is somehow hidden from God and that they will somehow escape God's judgment and his eternal fire. In Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, it is written to Israel, but it applies to every generation. It says, ye have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sins will find you out. If there's one thing you can count on, every unrepented sin will find you out. It will follow you through your life. It will stalk you all the way to the end, and it will be there staring you in the face when you cross the threshold into eternity. It was only after Cain's response was calloused and without remorse that God pronounced judgment upon him. Genesis chapter 4 Verses 11 through 13, and now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, now with some Finally, now in some semblance of humility, Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. The gospel that is to be preached to every creature and in every nation of the world is a powerful declaration of the love of our Savior and what he did in order to save us. Paul would say that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If you're looking for something else to change you, there isn't anything else. If you're looking for something else to get deep into the heart and cause you to really consider your ways and to cry out to God for forgiveness, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we got. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There isn't anything else other than that. 
Praise God. And so it is that the new birth and the entrance into the kingdom of God is paved through repentance, water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And let me assure you that that alone will not get you off the hook because your life then must be followed by a life of holiness, righteousness, and separation. Thursday night we heard about separating from the world and the dangers of entertainment. But I want to tell you that just separating yourself from the world is not enough. There are, there are, there are people who are separate from the world. The Amish is a perfect example. If anybody is separate from the world, they don't have telephones and televisions and internet and they don't even drive cars. They, they drive their buggies if anybody's separate. It's not enough just to turn off the entertainment. You have to go to prayer. You got to find a place and seek the face of God. You got to pray. You got you to uh, connect with Jesus through the Spirit, which is what sanctification is. See, separation and sanctification are two different things. You can separate yourself from the world, but if you're going to be sanctified, you sanctify yourself unto the Lord. You come out of darkness, but you must enter into his marvelous light. Blood that is left at a crime scene is powerful forensic evidence. In fact, it's one of the most powerful evidences of all determines many times one's guilt or innocence. Yet it says in Hebrews 11 and 4, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, here it is, he being dead, yet speaketh. Now this is amazing to me, because at the time the book of Hebrews was written was 4,000 years from the time that Cain killed his brother Abel from the first time that God began to hear the cry of Abel's blood pleading to him from the ground. And now after 4,000 years, the writer of Hebrews tells us that his blood has not been silent. His blood is still speaking from the ground and from the grave. Judgment had long since fallen on the perpetrator of this heinous crime. But now, four millennia later, the voice of Abel's blood still echoes in eternity. That tells me that we better make things right with God. We better get right with God, and we better do it before we leave this world. You may think that you're getting away with your shenanigans and with your lifestyle and with your sin because the judgment of God has not yet fallen upon you. But I bring to you 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 24. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Either way, they're going to be there waiting for you in judgment. Revelation 20 and 11 and 12, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, which is the 66 books of the Bible from which we are going to be judged. And another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. I thought about it, and perhaps it's worthy to share with you a thief that walks into Home Depot with the intention of stealing something. He may pick up something off of a shelf full intention of taking it without paying for it. But until he walks out the door of the store, he has not yet committed a crime. I remember the day last year we, we went into Home Goods and, and uh, we uh, picked up three bags, three bags of coffee. And we put it in, in Bree's stroller. We walked out the store. We walked into T.J. Maxx. I go, oh, my gosh, we didn't pay for the coffee. So we walked back into Home Goods and paid for the coffee. Any of you would have done the same thing. It, it wasn't wrong until we walked out the door without paying for it. And why I bring this up is because if you are within the sound of my voice, there's still time to get right with God. Once you cross the threshold of time and once you enter into eternity, you will be held personally responsible for every sin, every foul word, every immoral act that you ever committed. And I promise that you will experience regret for all of eternity because God will play services like this over and over like an unending reel in your mind where you had the chance, you had the opportunity, and you didn't take it. But I've come today with good news because there is hope for all of us. First John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. Well, John was a realist. And as he's writing, his pen went in if any man sin. I think it could even probably be when we sin. We have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. You've got to understand something. There's not one, one of us in this room that, that claim perfection or above sin or, or beyond uh, carnality and, and, and our humanity. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we stand redeemed today. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In a trial, the accused or the defendant, as he or she is called, is allowed to have an advocate or an attorney who will provide him or her with legal counsel, legal representation, legal advice, and that same advocate will represent their client, the defendant, in the court during the trial. In the United States of America, if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. They don't make a lot of money, and their schedule's very tight. I wouldn't rely on them if you need an advocate because you have committed a crime. John wrote that when we sin, we have someone who will step forward 
someone who will step up and advocate on our behalf. Now, he didn't step up and say, look, I, I get it. I know you're innocent. No, you didn't really commit the crime, but I'm going to defend you. Now, he knows we're guilty. He knows we did the deed. He knows that we need a, a defense. He knows we need someone greater than ourselves to stand with us in the court of God's judgment. And so Jesus steps up. He is the propitiation or the substitutionary sacrifice that was made for us so that when we need the advocate, he is there ready, has shed his blood. He's prepared to step forward. And I've needed him many, many many times to fill that capacity for me. But wait a minute. Isn't he the one that we sinned against? Isn't it his laws that we have broken? Isn't it his holiness that we have offended? Isn't he the one that should be sitting with the black robe on judging us. And yet he comes forward to represent us and to defend us, knowing that there's a mountain of indisputable evidence against us. And without him, we are surely going to be found guilty and sent to judgment. So he comes forward because without him, we have absolutely zero chance of acquittal. If you are going to wait till you die and trust in the life you've lived, you're going to be sorry because you didn't have God representing you in the court of repentance. So when the ledger of our life is open and lay next to the 66 books of the Bible, What chances are you going to have of exoneration? So I'll trust my, I'll take my chances. And your chances are not very good. Your chances are zero. So it's written in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 23 through 24. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and to the God or to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. We already know what the blood of Abel is speaking. We already know that it continues to pierce the silence of eternity to this day. We already know what the blood of Abel is shouting, declaring, and pleading for. But now it says that the blood of Jesus speaketh better things than that of Abel. In a trial, evidence is presented to the court along with a series of witnesses. These witnesses that are called will testify to either to the guilt or to the innocence of the defendant. 
The evidence against us, as stated, whether we admit it or acknowledge it or not, is overwhelming and uncontestable. Alone, it would guarantee a conviction. But remember, when Jesus, our Savior, steps forward into the court, we are not alone. We are accompanied by an advocate who will plead our case in a way that no one else could. I think he proved himself with the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. Wouldn't we like to know what Jesus wrote in the dirt of that dusty road that day? But as Jesus Christ presents his argument in your defense, he calls upon just one witnesses, one witness. Now, the, the prosecution has a, a, a stream of witnesses ready to step forward and testify to your guilt. Saw it all, heard it all, recorded it on my phone. We can play it back for you if you want, Judge. But Jesus brings just one single witness into court with him, and that witness is none other than his blood, his blood, his blood. My Lord, I feel the power of his spirit, the blood, the blood, the power that is in the blood, my God. And as he represents his, or presents his argument in our defense, he calls on this one witness. The blood of Abel is there. It is already testified on behalf of the prosecution, and the blood of Abel pleads a guilty plea. The blood of Abel pleads for a conviction. The blood of Abel pleads for judgment, but the blood of Jesus speaks better things than his blood and pleads for a verdict of acquittal. The blood of Jesus pleads for mercy. He's pleading right now for you in this room. The blood of Jesus is pleading right now. The blood of Abel says, forget them. Let them just go to hell. The blood of Abel says, don't even worry about them. They're not worth saving. Just let them go to hell. Don't even try to get them right with God. Just let them go to the lake of fire. But the blood of Jesus is pleading today. No, preach a message that will touch their heart. Preach a word that will reach the hardness of their mind and soul. Preach something that will get their attention, that will cause them to consider their ways. The blood of Jesus pleads for mercy today. According to the book of Hebrews, Abel's blood continues to pierce the eternal silence demanding retribution. It's here. It's sounding off. It's loud and clear. Heaven can hear it because it will not be silent. Its relentless uh, cry calls for an adjudication of guilt. Don't even, don't even consider the evidence. Just go ahead and find the defendant guilty as charged. No amount of time will erase the memory of Abel's blood Nothing will quench its lust for judge, justice and judgment. But our advocate is what I came to tell you is equally committed to you as is Abel. The blood of Jesus is equally committed 
as the blood of Abel, determined to find a way to set you free from the very things that will send you to a devil's hell. So in the face of, uh, of the certainty of an indictment, a judgment of indictment against us for the crimes, the sins, the things we have done, the blood of Jesus speaks up and begs for forgiveness, which we could all have if we would just ask him for it. Isaiah 53 and 12. All right, I'll stop. Ultimate wants me to at least tell you for a moment about Esau. I don't, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but Esau really messed up. And the Bible says he sought repentance with tears, but he did not find any. You can't repent any old time you feel like it. God will make you sorry for your sins. It's called godly sorrow. You can cry to God. You, you can cry and weep and beg and howl, but that's not necessarily repentance. I'm sorry I got caught. I, I'm sorry that you brought me trouble. I'm I'm sorry my sins brought me hardship. But when God gives you godly sorrow, take advantage of it, fall on your face, no matter where you are, and cry out to God and ask him for forgiveness, and he will forgive you. Isaiah 53, 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because... He had poured out his soul into death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. When the Lord directed me to this, it was astounding to me because we normally associate intercession with the voice of the Spirit through someone who is praying. We know that God intercedes for us from his throne, but our our what we think intercession is, it is that. I don't want to take anything away from that. But according to what we have read about the blood of Jesus speaking better things, and now from Isaiah 53, we know that his blood also makes intercession for us. The blood of Jesus is speaking on our behalf even before we even acknowledge him or even before we even know him. There are prayer warriors that are praying and people interceding. I, I told Brother uh, McGamo I had his name for this week. I, I've never said to anybody that I did before, but I wanted him to know, and he thanked me for it. I said, don't thank me yet. The blood of Abel speaks of condemnation and guilt. And it demands that we carry this guilt to the grave where there is no remedy. There is no cure. Jesus' blood, however, intercedes before the throne of God on our behalf. And he's pleading right now for people that could care less. For people that will sit with arms folded and say, whatever. For people whose heart has hardened by sin. He's pleading with 
everyone, the blood of Jesus, pleading for mercy, pleading for grace, pleading for reconciliation that something will occur, something will happen, something will drive us to an altar of change and transformation. When you bow in brokenness before God in humble, sincere, genuine, real repentance, it silences the cry of Abel's blood and it evokes the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14 and 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. If this was true in Paul's day, and if it was worthy of his warning to the Corinthians, how much more true is it today? I mean, if you wrote a letter back then, you had to write it with a, a ink and quill, and it had to travel on the back of a donkey to go where it was going and then carry by. A right now, this is going out to everybody online. If Paul was concerned about the signification of voices in his day, how much more concerned should we be with how significant these voices are today? Concerning, we're enveloped, surrounded by technology 24 hours a day. I called somebody that called me last week. They called my wife as well. It was a telemarketer. I called them back. And we got to talking. He said, well, you called me. I said, yeah, only because you called me at 10 after 1 in the morning, and I'm telling you now, don't ever call me again. No promises. Voices that are significant. Would you even dare go on a week excursion in the wilderness where there was no cell service, there was no internet connection, where even your watch wouldn't work right? Because we are inundated by voices. And they are all significant. Titus 1 and 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. That's Jewish, the Jewish people back then whose mouths must be stopped to subvert whole houses teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Let me help you. If you plead the blood, don't stop. Because when you plead the blood, you are letting the blood of Jesus speak to whoever and to whatever you're dealing with. So I might not have the words... I may not know exactly what to say, but the blood knows, and I plead the blood against you. 
you have a conversation with the blood of Jesus. And while you're getting beat up, I'm going to go on my way. The blood of Jesus. When you plead the blood, you are silencing the cacophony of other voices that you hear in your ear and your mind and your soul night and day. My God. Talk about we need to turn some things off. In ancient Greek mythology, there were things that were called sirens. Probably where we get use of the word today. Sirens were creatures that lived on the cliffs and on the rocks of uh, certain islands. And as sailors and mariners passed by in their ship, these sirens would sing their sweet, irresistible song. These mariners, these sailors, would be get in a trance of sorts, and they would sail right toward them and dash their ship upon the rocks at the peril of every sailor aboard. In book 12 of Homer's Odyssey, sailors who passed through those waters were advised to fill their ears with wax. Now, we're trying to get the wax out of our ears. While they're putting wax in their ears so that they would not hear the sirens call them unto destruction. But with so many voices beckoning us ever closer to the rocks and to the precipice, the blood of Jesus is the one constant voice in our lives that pulls us back from the brink, that keeps pulling us back and saving us from certain destruction. As blood-bought believers, we don't need more wax in our ears. If anything, we need to open our ears to the right things, of course, to the right voices, to the right words, to those that are speaking on behalf of God, because that is what is going to save us. One of the loudest and, and, and most often heard voices causing discord and destruction chaos and dismay in our lives comes from our adversary, the devil. Many people are the product. They are the result of things that the enemy has spoken to them. Now, sometimes he says things that are true, but not in the context of biblical truth. So there are a lot of people that I'm talking about, apostolic people per se, because this should not be among them. We should be, this should not happen to us, and yet it does. We're the product of these things that the enemy speaks to us, and we think that, that these things are coming from within. Well, I must not be any good. Well, I, I must be a failure. Well, I, I must be ugly. I, I, I must be worthless. I, I, I must be stupid. These thoughts do not originate within you. They originate from your accuser, from the devil, from demon spirits. Now, he speaks and it, it, they come, yeah, they come out of us, but they didn't come from us. 
Revelation 12 and 10, and I heard a voice, a loud voice, saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. That's not going to happen for a while. Which accused them before our God day and night, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Now these saints are tribulation saints. They're not Gentile saints. We're going to be gone. Nevertheless, the accuser of the brethren will continue his antics even through the seven years of great tribulation. And these tribulation saints are Hebrews who will embrace Jesus Christ as their Messiah will overcome the satanic accuser the same way that we overcome him today. I'm going to let the blood of Jesus do my talking for me. I'm going to overcome that accuser, that lying spirit through the voice of the blood of the Lamb of God that speaks better things about me than the accuser, than my accuser does. My God, my God. Proverbs 23, 7, it says, it's not on there, so don't look for it. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So since we can change so much today just by declaring it, I declare myself young, rich, and handsome. So now I'm going to identify as a billionaire. It's all laughable, isn't it? But as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Doesn't mean I can think myself tall. Jesus talked about that. I can't, I, I can't think myself any smarter than I already am. But if I think I'm stupid, then I'm going to act stupid, and I'm going to feel stupid, and I'm going to do stupid stuff. If I think that I'm worthless, I will, I will cast away every hand of God that reaches toward me because I will consider myself unworthy of his love and of his sacrifice. We begin to think these things. We become what we think. makes what we hear very important because it will determine what we think. So John said, I recorded Jesus saying, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed, John 8, 36. The freedom, however, that's provided by the sacrifice of the Son of God and our subsequent obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ is also subject to something else that's kingdom related and it's called Faith, faith, you have to have faith. This means that everything that we listen to, both good, both bad, both destructive and edifying, is subject to the law of faith. You know why people are going crazy today? Because they believe what they hear. Faith, they have faith that that's true. Miami's going to sink into the ocean. They believe that. Doesn't mean it's true. But they believe it, and they live like it's going to happen. So we choose not only what we're going to listen to, but we choose whether we're going to believe it or not. So the voice of your accuser says that you're doomed to fail. Jesus' blood speaks better things, declaring that you are victorious in Christ. Which are you going to believe? I can tell you right now, with supreme certainty, there are people in this room 
that believe the accuser, not the word of God. They believe the enemy, not the word of God. They choose to believe the negative, not the positive. They choose to believe the destruction and not the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he has provided for us. The incessant voice of our enemy speaks of our defeat, of our demise, of our death. But the blood of Jesus counters his voice with the promise of eternal life. Every lie that the devil tells is countered if we will hear what the blood of Jesus is saying. Every lie that the devil tells is reversed by the blood of Jesus Christ that's speaking something so much better over us and in our lives. For the blood of Jesus speaks preservation, confirmation, purification, sanctification, acceptance, and access. The blood of Jesus speaks power, victory, salvation, redemption, eternal life, anointing, and restoration. The blood of Jesus says that we are kings, that we are priests, that we are of the seed of Abraham, that we are sons of God, that we are a royal priesthood, and we are a holy nation. And if we're not living within the scope of these affirmations, we are listening to the wrong voice. If we're not living by these affirmations, we are believing the wrong messenger. Musicians, worship team, would you join me? In Jeremiah 29 and verse 19, the prophet pronounced judgment upon Israel. And he did so for the following reason. He said, because they have not hearkened to my words, saith the Lord. You see, Jeremiah was prophesying one thing, but there were other prophets prophesying other things, and they chose to listen to and believe the false prophets. In Isaiah 29, there is clarification, I believe, in verses 11 and 12, and I think it's relatable to us, and you will see why. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. They would not hear. You see, hearing is very important. It's one of our five senses. And if I was asked today that God was going to take one of my five senses away, I would have a very difficult time choosing. Hearing is very important to the apostolic believer because once you pass the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and have obeyed the gospel, then your, uh, your relationship with God will be dependent upon a great deal upon what you hear preached and taught from pulpits just like this one. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith then cometh by hearing. 
and hearing by the word of God. Now, disregarding our natural ability to hear, assuming that the little bones in our ears are vibrating and sending the, the audible sounds and the words and so forth into our, our brains and our minds, assuming that we're able to hear uh, naturally. Jesus told us a parable of the sower, which doesn't have any, it didn't say anything about hearing, but it has everything to do with it. The parable of the sower compares hearing to the kind or to the condition of the heart. You can't get the word of God as powerful as it is into a heart that's, that's full of rocks and stones or a heart that's hard and, and like, like granite. You can't get the word of God into a heart that, that, that's, that other things there, cares of life, going to grow up and choke. It has to be good soil in order. Good soil. So even though you may hear things from God, if, it's, if that seed is falling upon uh, unproper un soil, it's not going to take root and it's not going to produce the fruit of salvation. In Sam's Club, there's a room. I know in the Cape, I don't know if they have one in Fort Myers. They probably do. It's a room. It's a soundproof room. And I've seen the audiologists take people in there, and what they're going to they're test their hearing to see if they uh, need hearing aids. And they hope they do. They can sell them a $5,000 pair of hearing aids. To me, I'm going to go in there and say, I hear it. I hear that. I hear it. I can hear everything. I wish we had a room like that here. We could check people's hearing. See if you're really hearing the voice of the Spirit. I know you hear my voice. But do you hear the voice? Hmm. Hmm. My God. I think it's very possible that we're in that room right now and our hearing is being tested. As powerful as God's word is, you see, it brought everything to existence as we know it. Its ability to produce the desired results within an individual completely and totally depends upon their ability to hear or to the condition of their heart. Paradoxically, the condition of our heart is what determines what we hear. If you'd stand with me today. We have rehearsed this so many times that it's almost like an apostolic mantra. It was repeated seven times in Revelation 2 and 3. Such as in verse 7, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. It is unanimously agreed that it is fundamentally imperative that we have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church, more so now than ever before. 
As we are going down the stretch of this dispensation, approaching very quickly to the day and hour when Jesus Christ will split the eastern sky and will call the redeemed home. We have addressed this so many, many times. And as I prepare to open this altar for you to come and pray, hopefully you will, I would like to put this into a little bit different or perhaps better perspective. If we are unable to hear the word of God when it's preached, declared, and taught, we will not be able to hear the Spirit and what it's speaking to the church. And if we're not able to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, we will certainly be unable to hear what God is speaking to us individually, personally. And last but not least, if we are unable to hear these three distinct, indispensable voices of God, we will also be unable to hear the good things that the blood of Jesus is speaking in and over our lives. When I was a kid, Dad used to love watching boxing. I've never seen him do this when he was watching football or any other. He used to love watching auto racing. I've never seen it happen. It only happened when he was watching boxing. He would zone out so that you could talk to him. He never heard a word you said. He almost said, Dad. He would completely zone out. I would never call my dad an idiot, but if I ever wanted to, that was my chance. He would not have heard me at all. But I'm concerned that because of things like we heard Thursday night, that we're zoning out. And we're not hearing God when he speaks to us. We're not hearing the word that speaks to us. We're not hearing his spirit as it speaks to us, and we're certainly not hearing the blessing that the blood of Jesus is speaking over and in our lives. So I close with this. We will not be able to become the powerful and anointed church that our city needs us to be without the divine chorus that is speaking hope and faith into our hearts and into our minds. Personally, I'm glad for the times God has yelled at me and said, don't go there, turn around, there's danger. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving me again. We must be in tune with this divine chorus. It's the only thing that will ensure that we are ready when the rapture takes place. Honestly, I've heard about the rapture for 49 years now. And uh, 
If he comes tomorrow, I won't be ready. But I've come to the realization, like many of the great men and women of God before me, that have, they're not here for the rapture. They'll be raptured from the grave. Whether I go before the rapture or the rapture comes and takes me, I won't be ready. I, I won't be ready because I know what comes after that. Now, I'm going to make one final plea with you. I assume that there'll still be folks in this congregation that uh, will be alive and well at the time of my demise. And I'm going to ask one final request. Pastor, I, I guess I put this in your hands. You have the authority. Well, my wife never had the authority. But, you know, together you can work it out. Don't try to figure out what to put on my gravestone. Don't try to come up with some catchy phrase. Certainly don't put something that wasn't true. All of a sudden, the worst kind of people die, and all of a sudden, they were so lovely. They were so good to everybody. So instead of trying to come up with anything like that, I want you to just put this. Let this be my epitaph. I'm serious now. The blood of Jesus speaks for this man. That's all I need to be here. That says it all. The blood of Jesus speaks for this man. Praise God. And with that, I would like to open the altar. Hopefully there's somebody here with faith, with the desire to touch God and to reach God. Would you come right now? And stand or kneel, it's whatever you choose to do. Because the blood of Jesus is rooting for you right now. The blood of Jesus is rooting for you right now. Come on, the enemy is saying you don't need it. But the blood of Jesus is rooting for you right here and right now. Everything the enemy has spoken to you in the past week, may it be washed away by the sweet voice of our Lord and the blood that he shed on the cross. May he put his arms around you and love on you at this altar. May his blood cover you and wash you and cleanse you. May the blood prepare us for his return. Come on, let the blood speak right now. Let the blood speak on your behalf right now.
Brother John, when you get done up there, you need to come down front. Sister Bruce, get his prayer shawl. That's all right. Let's accept it here. We love it.
Amen. Pastor, let's anoint this prayer show.